Well, good morning. If you would, uh, go ahead and find your Bibles and then open them to Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, the last chapter of the Bible and the last chapter of the book of Revelation. If you will find verse 20, and if you're just joining us, you're joining us in a study that we've been in for some time, finishing it up today, the last message in the book of Revelation. So while you're finding your place in that passage, a couple of quick, uh, exciting announcements. Um, one is that we are, this Wednesday night, uh, after our time of worship, going to be discussing our vision for Cross Community Church. If you can come, you can hear what our vision is and what uh, might go into that, some details. So be here on Wednesday night. You heard just the earlier that we're on the 7th of June, which is a week from Wednesday, talking about the mission and vision that we have of disciple making. And so we want you to hear on Wednesday. Bottom line is don't miss a Wednesday night, all right? Good study in the First Thessalonians letter and then also uh, these vision nights. Uh, at the end of the service, can I tell you where we're going? A couple things. At the end of the service, we'll have an invitation. It's where we ask you to respond to what God has spoken to you about. And uh, we all should respond in some way. And so we'll talk about that at the end. So we're going to ask you if you're not saved, if you've never met Christ, that today would be the day that you would say yes and that you would you would receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to know that you're a sinner and that the only hope that you have for the forgiveness of sin is, through, is receiving by faith the Lord Jesus Christ, becoming a follower of Christ. You need to do that today. You can't put that off. So at the end of the service, we'll have that invitation. And while we're having that time of response, we'll also have some of our elders that are present and ready to pray. And the reason they're ready here to pray is because some of you have some financial needs, emotional needs, maybe it's relational, some other that no one else knows about, but you're wearing that burden and you want to come. At 8 o'clock in our Bible study group, we heard the testimony of a gentleman we've been praying for who prayed for healing, went to the doctor and couldn't find anything. The doctor said, whatever was there is gone. It's been there for a long time. And he said this, God heard my prayer. I believe God hears prayer. I got to believe God believe God answers prayer. Um, just a moment ago, I got to see one of our members who hasn't been here in months and months and months. And why? She was at death's door, not given much hope, but God, through his incredible power, raised her up as she's here this morning. God answers prayer. I'm just telling you, God answers prayer. So it's uh, been kind of, uh, our elders have, have been here. It's been, if you haven't noticed, it's kind of be some of our rhythms of having elders here to pray and pray for whatever your needs uh, that you have. And it might not be physical. It might be, you know, there's just something that you can't even put your finger on, but you know all things by prayer. All things by prayer. Well, Revelation chapter 22, if you're there, say amen. I'm going to ask you at the end of the service, and I told you one more thing, to respond to Scripture, to respond to Scripture. It's not abnormal that we would have responsive reading. But today, I want to ask you to respond with this one word, this word, amen, the word amen. And so if you would stand with me and let's read verse 20 and verse 21. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. The response, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this this ending of the scripture. The way that you have given to us is genius. May we understand it by your spirit. And God, 
apply it by your grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. We've seen already through this study in the book of Revelation that Satan and his rebellion's been put away. The new Jerusalem's come down from God. Our Lord Jesus Christ is lifted up. And we, his people, have been invited into the celestial city to dwell with our God forever. No wonder there's a blessing promised for those who read this prophecy, the Revelation. This is not a book to be afraid of, but a book to be embraced. Because it reveals the Lord Jesus Christ. He is real. And the more I get to know Him, the more I can't wait to see Him. And when I see Him, I will know Him. Because I've been waiting for Him. How about you? So it's in this passage that we read how at the end of time, Jesus is coming back and we see this in the promise that He made. Surely, I am coming soon. And the church says, Amen. Amen is a special word. A singularly superlative word. It's a word probably that's the best known in the world. That and maybe hallelujah. And Cole reminded us Coca-Cola. Those are the three most versed terms in the world. Amen, probably number one. What does it mean? Amen. It's not something that we simply add to the end of our prayer to say we're finished. It's not a hashtag. It is to say we believe something to be literally true. We believe it to be true. We agree that it's true. And we believe that it's true. And when you really believe, when you really believe, there will come a consequence. There will be an action after There will be, if you believe something to be true, something that follows. So the amen says, it's true. I agree with it. And it affects me. It affects me. The first time I think I ever heard the amen was in a little country church. At least I remember. I'm sure I heard a lot of times before that. But in a little country church that I I went to, my mom grew up in, and they had had a multi-day revival. And I was a part of the last meetings with my, my family. And a preacher stood up and he said, this is the last night of our revival meeting. And a little preschooler stood up and said, amen. I'm sure that he uh, agreed that was the last night. He believed it was the last night. And he was looking forward to the next night when he could have some Kraft mac and cheese and play with Legos and not to be at church. In the New Testament, you'll read when Jesus would speak, he would sometimes say, amen, amen. Amen is sometimes said by a speaker. It's been said this morning by Gray, who said, amen. And he was saying what I have to say is true. If you have a King James Version, anybody with a King James? All right. You know these words, verily, verily. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, verily, verily, or translated truly, truly, another way. Amen, amen. What? Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. These are true. Jesus never once would have to say what he had promised would be true or whatever he's proclaiming to be true. He is truth. He is faithful and true, the faithful and true witness. But he wants to drive home for us the understanding. You better not miss this. If you're not born again today, 
you are not going to heaven. Doesn't matter what religious background you have, how hard you're trying, and how much you want to go there. Jesus said this, amen, amen, or truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. John 6, 47, Jesus said, truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. This is truth. But you have to believe it, and if you believe it, there's an effect, eternal life. That's what the amen is. Amen is not just a saying. However, amen is a saying, or an amen is a confirmation from the hearer. Whenever we hear truth, and we know it's true, and we have come to believe it to be true, it affects us emotionally. We'll say amen out loud. Say out loud, amen, saying this. We believe what God has to say is absolutely true. That leads to vertical worship. In Nehemiah chapter 8, for instance. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 4 tells us, Ezra stood up, a scribe before a wooden platform. It's where we receive the tradition in the church of having a pulpit to stand behind to preach and to read God's word. Ezra opened up the book in the sight of all the people, all the people that he stood above. And Ezra blessed the Lord after the reading, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen. Amen. And lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. When the word of God was read, the law of the Lord was spoken. The people heard the truth. They said, that's true. We believe it. And the effect was emotional. They literally bowed their face to the ground. When we say amen, we ought to say it and express it verbally at times. Because when we verbally express our amen, we're saying we agree as a witness to what is being told or what is being preached or what is being taught. We're a witness. And some things just need to be spoken aloud. Have you ever noticed that? We were at a wedding last night in a reception. I'm not sure because I was just picking up on this question uh, of the bride and groom that got married. Who was the first to say I love you? And I don't think they could agree on that. But how many of you think it's important if you tell somebody you love them that they don't leave that hanging? Especially if you're dating. You don't want to say, well, I love you in my heart. If you have children and uh, you have children and you're teaching them to be grateful and to show gratitude, don't you want them to express that gratitude by actually saying, thank you? When I was a kid, we were taught before we got it from the table to make sure that we showed appreciation to uh, my mom for cooking a meal, and we would say, thank you, I enjoyed it very much. Even if it was liver, cabbage. But the goal of my parents were to show us how to express gratitude. Amen is that way. And there are times for us as believers where we just can't remain Silent. I got in this habit. Amens can be a habit. I don't mean it this way, but it can be a habit where we just say amen and we don't know what we're saying. We can be ignorant of its meaning. We can even amen in unbelief where we amen something because it's true, but we have yet come to believe it. It's not true amen. And if it hasn't pressed on our life an effect, it's not 
an amen. An amen is saying, I know that's right, that's my habit. I, when someone is preaching and I agree with the truth, I'll say, that's right. Don't know where it came from. means the same thing as amen. Here's what I want to show you from this text. We will never be able to say, come Lord Jesus. Surely come Lord Jesus until we learn to say amen to that statement. We'll never be able to say, surely come Lord Jesus until we know he's coming and we agree with that truth. And we affirm that truth that he's coming for me. Because the idea that Jesus is coming is a wonderful idea for those of us who are saved. It is a horrible prospect if you're unsaved today. Or if you're not right with God. To say he's coming, amen, I know that's true. And to say I'm looking forward to that coming in anticipation is the amen. We can never surely say, surely come, Lord Jesus, unless we not only agree, but we affirm it and we anticipate it. Why would we anticipate the coming of Christ? Well, notice the last prophecy here. Notice the text. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. It's John testifying, quoting Jesus, who on two other occasions here recently have said, he's coming soon. For people reading this letter in the first century, that would have excited them because many of them were going through some dark days of tribulation and trial. But Jesus didn't come in their lifetime, and he's not come for 2,000 years. Some of you would say, it doesn't seem like he's coming soon. But what he means by this one word soon is quickly. Quickly he's going to come. Everything's going to be summed up in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed when Jesus Christ returns. So here, soon means that suddenly. And we say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Why hasn't he come yet? Why hasn't he come yet? This world's a mess. You would say, my goodness, why doesn't he come? He's waiting on some of you. It is not God's will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Not all come to repentance, but he's calling you. But I want you to notice the word surely. And this is the word I would love for you to underline or circle in your Bible. It's an important word. Because again, nowhere does Jesus ever have to say, surely, Connected to any promise that he makes. Because all of his promises are, the Bible says, yes and amen. But driving home the point that he surely is coming. This surely word conjures up remembrances of the beginning of time. The original readers of Revelation would have been very familiar with the first book of the Torah, the the Genesis account of creation, and where God first spoke to man, and it's recorded God spoke to Adam, and God said to Adam, you may surely, there's the word, eat of every tree of the garden. That's a great word of God's provision. This was before death, before there was any type of, uh, of funerals for animals, or butchering of cows, or catching of fish. This was Food for everybody that's going to live underneath the rule of God on trees. I don't know exactly what that's like. I don't know exactly what that meant, except every tree. Every tree. You don't eat fruit from every tree now, but then every tree. And I'm not sure what it was like. I just like to use my imagination to think, man, I want a ribeye. There's the ribeye tree. Just grab that leaf, and it's the best ribeye you've ever had. Make Bruce Chris jealous. This is before the fall. 
Now then comes the divine protection. Because then God says to Adam, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Someone will say, did you die? But did you die? What's the worst thing that could happen to you? You die. It's not. The worst thing that could happen to you is that you would surely die. Surely death is beyond physical death. Adam and Eve realized when they sinned against God by disobeying and taking from the tree the knowledge of good and evil, death. They they realized death, but they didn't realize physical death immediately. But they did realize surely death. The most important and precious relationship that anyone could ever have is a relationship with God. And that relationship between Adam and God was severed because he rebelled against God and he surely died. This is the first time surely is used in the book of Genesis. The second time it's used is when that old serpent, that old knucklehead devil comes into the garden and he uses the word surely as well. He says to Eve, God knows if you eat of that tree that you will not surely die. It's the way in which the devil works. He's on a mission. His mission is to deceive. And one of the ways he does that is adding or taking away from the word of God. In the very beginning of time, the devil came into the garden and he said, uh, you know, has God really said, no, you're not surely going to die. At the end of Revelation of chapter 22, verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Careful, careful that you do not cast shade on the scriptures because these scriptures have been given to us by divine revelation, by divine inspiration from God to holy men who've written them down. And you can't go to Google or the internet to try to find out the interpretation of the Bible. You just have to go to the Bible to find out the interpretation of the Bible. In fact, the Bible says it this way, that if you cause a little one to stumble in this area, it'd be better that you have a millstone put around your neck, a big piece of concrete and been chunked into the St. John's than to mislead someone when it relates to the scripture, especially a child. And when you do that, mess with the word, mess with the scriptures, meddle with it, you become like Satan, who is the great deceiver. He's on a mission to destroy. Jesus said he is a liar, the father of lies. He came to kill, steal, and destroy. Kill, steal, and destroy. And he won't stop. The way that he does his work is through deception, Attacking God's word. And this is what we need to understand about God's promises. All his promises are true. Yes and amen. When Satan went and he began to cause doubt or dispersion on the word of God, he was undermining also the character of God. God had provided for Adam and Eve everything that they would need. And the devil is acting like God was some sort of prude. Some sort of cosmic killjoy. He's keeping something from you. When in fact, God was keeping Adam and Eve from death, surely death. And he undermines God's justice. You you won't surely die. As much as changed, nothing's changed. 
We're not ignorant of the devil's devices. There are those who will tell you right now, I, 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 I like Jesus. He's just fine. He gets me. He gets me. No. No, he came to get you out of your rebellion and sin and rescue you to himself. Too many people have Oprah's God. You know, the one that just loves everybody just the way they are. And he doesn't. He loves you just the way you are, but too much to leave you the way you are. And if you've ever met him, he's rescued you from your sin and is rescuing you regularly from the power of that sin so that one day you can be in his presence and be free from sin altogether. I picked up on this. That almost half of the amens in the Old Testament are in one book, the book of Deuteronomy. Half of the amens in the Old Testament are in the book of Deuteronomy, and almost all of those amens, that's right, I agree, that's true, let it be, are amens after Moses tells the people that if they sin against the law of God, there will be judgment. And the people say, amen. You know, when God comes to man, he tells man, I've got everything for you you need. Just stay away from the tree that will kill you and you will surely die. That's the first words to God from man that are recorded. The first recorded words to, from man to God, from, from man to God are these. I heard, God's coming after Adam, after Adam's sin. I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Tragic. Silly too, right? You're going to hide from God? I came across these headlines that are just silly. Silly headlines. And I read some this, just this week that are silly. If you read the articles, they don't, articles don't even match the headlines sometimes. But here's some silly ones. Something went wrong in jet crash, expert says. How about this one? War dims hope for peace. How about this one? London couple slain. Police say homicide. Cold wave linked to temperatures. How about this one? I hid myself from God. Every once in a while we'll try to hide ourselves from other people. Have you ever done that? Like you've been working in the yard, you're like, oh man, I need one more bag of mulch, I need one more plant, and you're filthy dirty, but you, I just got to run at home depot, I won't see anybody. But you cannot hide yourself from God. Sin had caused a severing again of the most precious relationship man could have ever hoped to have. Sin had brought shame and guilt where there never had been before. And what does Adam do? What does Adam do? Adam does what we all do. He tries to justify his sin, whether it is that he blames someone else. We try to legalize, moralize, and sanitize our sin, call it something other than sin. We got all kind of names for sins these days. We try to clean them up. But sin is rebellion. Always against the holy God. And the truth is, the truth of God, the amen of God, presses against us regularly. And no matter how much we try to suppress it with passing of laws or moralizing behavior or normalizing sin, it still presses. Why? Because God's law is yes and amen forever for everyone. So then what does God do? Sin abroad, a wide sweeping sentence of surely death for all the sons of Adam. God in his grace 
and in His mercy makes a promise. Let's rehearse the promise. Yeah, Eve. Yeah, Adam. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. You're going to have struggles because of your sin. You made a choice. And your offspring and her offspring. Well, what about her offspring? The promise. He, that is the serpent, shall bruise your head. The offspring of Eve would have his head, or excuse me, his heel bruised, his heel bruised. But the offspring of Eve would crush the head of Satan. The people in Revelation, the readers of this letter would have remembered that promise. They were anticipating that promise. What Paul said would happen in Romans chapter 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Satan was certainly defeated at the cross. He's ultimately going to be defeated when Jesus casts him away into hell. And amen and amen. And everyone who knows that promise and prophecy says, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Which leads us to the last prayer. Look in chapter 22, verse 20. The last prayer after Jesus makes that statement, Surely I am coming quickly. The prayer of the church is, You surely come Lord Jesus. That's the literal translation. In other words, the church prays back Scripture. Just as a footnote here, a way to learn to pray. If you've never learned to pray and you're expected to pray, aren't you? You're expected to pray and you should pray. You, you should lead your family in prayer. You should lead your kids in prayer. And children can lead in prayer. One of the best ways to learn to pray is to look right here and see how prayer is given. Prayer is given here as an expression of the scripture or scripture is prayed back to God. If anyone ever asks you to pray aloud, don't, don't freak out. You know, I never prayed out loud before. Pull out your phone, open up a psalm, Psalm 121 like this morning, and just begin praying that psalm. And people will think you're the most spiritual person to ever walk the face of the earth. Like, this guy can pray. We have it in our mind that we have to pray these flowery prayers with all types of words that nobody understands and Repeat all of these types of uh, expressions that we've heard in our past. You know what the best and most effective way to pray is to take the Word of God and to pause as you read it. Can I give you, for instance, look with me in chapter 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, John is testifying, and John says, the Lord Jesus Christ says, surely I'm coming. I'm going to pause right there and just say, Lord, I want you to come. And where I don't want you to come, I want you to fix me. I want you to change me. I want to be aligned with your will. I want your kingdom to come on earth just as it is in heaven. Lord, surely come. And you're coming soon. I know it's going to be quickly. And I want to be ready because it's going to come suddenly. Your coming is sudden. And I I want to be ready when you come. Just pause and pray. James Varner, one of the translators of the Legacy Standard Bible, has just written a book on praying the scriptures. And he said the praying of scriptures can be experienced like feasting on the Word of God. When you feast on the Word of God, you first take a little bite of the Word of God. You take a bite of the Word of God, and then you choose to meditate on it. You're chewing on it. And then you savor the Word of God as you pray on it. And then it becomes a digestive part of your body. So as you take the Word and you feast on it, you take it, you read it, you begin to savor it, and then you pray it. And when you pray back, he says, it becomes part of your body. Like food, when you eat food, right? When you eat food, you chew it, you savor it, and then it gets to be part of your body, good or bad. But the Word of God, always good. So as you pray by the Word of God, you do what we talked a little bit about two weeks ago. You're aligning yourself to the will of God as you pray the Word of God. 
That's why we'll pause to pray today. That's why we'll have elders here to pray. The last words of our Lord here are, I come quickly. What a difference the cross makes. What a difference the cross makes. Because the first time man speaks to God, he says, I was ashamed. I was afraid. I hid myself. I didn't want to see you. Some of you are that way today. You're, you're ashamed. You're still in your guilt. You're still in your past. And you're, you're afraid Jesus is going to come back and catch you where you are. But the cross makes all the difference. The cross has two arms, two sides. It's where God in His holiness takes sinful man, brings us together in righteousness. And now on the other side of the cross, when we hear the words, surely I'm coming quickly, man responds on the other side of the cross, surely come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I know it's true you're coming. I believe you're coming, and I want you to come. I'm affirming that in agreement. Maranatha is the word. Come, Lord Jesus, and anticipation. Adam, when fear hit himself in anxiety, but our last expectation is that Christ will come and is what we anticipate. Last week, Cole did a wonderful job exegeting Matthew 25 on the parable of the talents. He talked about the virgins that were in that story as well. Ten of them, five who had oil and five who did not. Five ready for the coming of the master, for the bridegroom, five who were not. The five who were ready, the saved. The five who were not, unsaved. Some of you right now are not ready for the coming of Christ. You are not expecting and anticipating because you're not saved. But then he talked about the talents. And at the end of the parable of the talents, we hear the master say to the faithful stewards, well done, enter into the joy of the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. And what believer here who's anticipating the coming of Christ cannot wait to hear from our Lord, come into the joy of your master. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. It is our enthusiastic expectation. It's our eager anticipation. We have the last prophecy, the last prayer, the last blessing. And because of the time, I'm going to the last point. The last point is the last amen. You see, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you is what is said, and then the church says amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus is not just an ethereal grace. Grace we talk about all of the time. We love the word grace. We name our kids grace. We want grace extended, and sometimes we don't deserve something, so we say, well, can you at least be gracious with me? But this is a very particular grace. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the favor of Jesus be on you. The favor of the Lord Jesus be on you. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ be on you. We experience that on a daily basis when we spend time in worship. In the cycles of worship when we come on the Lord's day and we're gathered together, we can experience the grace and strength and favor of the Lord. And like redwoods, we need each other in life on a daily basis. Like redwoods who have their roots entwined together so they can grow strong and large, we too must have each other. So we are growing in this grace. This grace is something that is ready for us present. The grace of the Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus, a particular grace, Jesus is with you. His favor is on you. He loves you. You're accepted in the beloved and he is with you present. Because the people in Revelation reading this were going through much difficulty. They might have thought as soon as we get through this trial, as soon as we have another emperor, as soon as we move to another city, John would say, keep the revelation open. 
your Lord's faithful to you through the fire. I was reading about a preacher who took his son, his family to Cape Cod. And he was telling in the book that I was reading how that he was going over dunes. And uh, they had parked some way away and, and, and they were just going to go over the dunes to the beach. And so he said to his family, as soon as we get over this dune, we'll be at the beach. But he went over that dune and there was another dune. They got on the top of that dune and there was another dune. And he kept saying to his family, as soon as we get over that dune, we'll be at the beach. But every time they got over a dune, there was another dune. This is the way in which sometimes Christians live their lives. As soon as I get past this situation, as soon as I get past this circumstance, as soon as I get enough money, as soon as I retire, as soon as I find the right person, as soon as I, and we never get there. When we have everything we need right underneath our feet. There's a guy by the name of Ira Johnson who lived in Texas, a real life Beverly Hillbilly. All of his life living in poverty, shooting rabbits from his front porch just to survive until it was discovered there was oil underneath his house, under, in his property that he owned and had the rights to. And then became a multi-millionaire. It wasn't that the, the oil hadn't always been there. He just didn't know where to tap into it. He didn't know it was there. And that's the way sometimes Christians live, in poverty, not realizing that every day we have the grace of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus. It's not just Calgon, take us away. Jesus, can you come and come back right now? Get everything right. We have grace, 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 now, amen. And it's purposeful grace. And Peter said, why is it that we live this way in holiness and godliness, because we know everything's going to dissolve and Jesus is going to come back. The reason that we live holy and godly in this world is because he is coming back. The reason we live holy and godly in this world is because we need to see our amen affect others. Our amen's in witness. And there are countless hundreds and thousands of people right around us that need to know Jesus Christ. They need to hear, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I was just talking to a brother Next door, he said, yesterday, pastor, yesterday, yeah, I got to share Jesus with an Orthodox Jew, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ, the true Messiah. Come on. There are people all around us that just need to be told, Jesus is Lord, amen. Man, they're trying to get to heaven by being good, by doing their work, going to their church, giving money. They're trying to go any way they can, and they're not going. Because no one, is saved by works. Everyone is saved by grace through faith and anyone can be saved. You know one of the best things you can do? I was reading this study about why people gave their life to Christ. They gave their life, many of them at Christ, uh, at church. What happened at church? Well, 1% of the people who came to church and gave their life to Christ came to church for a special event. And we hear it all the time, don't we? Man, if we just had this deal, we had this show, we had this play, we had this musical, we gathered people for this food, man, it would be worth it. Or it's the programs. Praise God for our programs, because we don't just play around here. When our kids come on Sunday morning to children's worship and children's church and Bible study, they're not just coloring, they're not just getting candy, but they're learning about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're pouring into and we're serious about helping them to love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. We want them to disciple. We want teenagers to understand this book and not be led astray by the enemy who tries to undermine God's character and God's word. Like we're serious about this stuff. We come together. We want people to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And some people just come because it's a special event. It's a special program. 2% of people come because they have a special need. 5% 5% of the people have come to Christ at a church because they heard about a small group they wanted to be a part of. 6% preaching. They're trying to get that to 7. 
won't surprise you that nearly 80% of people who came to church and came to Christ came to church not because of a program, a special event, because of a group, because of a need, because they just walked in off the street. 80% of the people who came to church and came to Christ came because a friend or a relative brought them. That's a good place to say amen. My devotion, I came across the story of a, a missionary woman from Korea who was saved because she had heard about a meeting several miles away from her house through the woods and over a mountain. And she walked those miles to go to this service. And there she heard about the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time and gave her life to Christ. When she heard about the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved, she came home and her life was so changed that her husband inquired, what has happened to you? Her life was so transformed that he wanted to be saved. She said, well, I'll carry you to this meeting. And the reason she said that is because he was crippled. She literally put him, literally put him on her back and carried him over the mountain three miles away to the service where he gave his life to Christ. And now, for the rest of their life, she would carry him on his back from village to village in Korea telling other people about Jesus. And at the time of the reading of the book, they had led 200 people to faith in Jesus Christ. We have an average of 30 conversations a day. About a fifth of our time is talking. We could leverage those conversations and talking for the grace of God to say he's coming. Amen. And be purposeful. That's when we come to this last amen. The last amen. And here's where your part comes in and responding to the scripture. Because here in verse 21, we read the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This last amen is an amen at the end of the entire Bible. And amen to say all God has said is true. And all of it I believe. I believe it from Genesis to the maps. I believe it's all equally inspired. I believe it all reveals Jesus Christ. But I'm not to be a mere hearer of the word. But a doer of the word. And this is where it has to work in me. And through me. And out of me. And constantly changing me. It's why I stay broken before God. I wish I could stand up before you and say. Man I had a great week. Didn't sin this week. I'd be lying to you. I have this Bible that works on me. It's plan in my life. And I agree with it. It's changing. And it's changing you isn't it? Because if you agree with it and you affirm it, it is now working in you effectively. It's an amen to the word of God. It's an amen to the eternal plan of God. We see how God's plan is to have a kingdom, a priest that would worship him and serve him throughout eternity. And we say, amen, that's what Jesus deserves. Satan deserves to be in hell, Jesus on the throne, and we at our Lord's feet casting our crowns before him. Amen. To his kingdom's agenda here. We affirm the truth. We anticipate and joyfully expect it. This is why Paul said this at the end of his life. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom, his heavenly kingdom. To him, God, be glory forever and ever. Amen. John, who says, I testify to these things, is saying, Amen. Here's your part. Your part is amen at the end of these texts. Listen to what Jude said in the New Testament. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied saying. What did Enoch say, the seventh from Adam? Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. And the church says, do you know who Job is? Job 
chapter 19. If you're not familiar with Job, Job went through such suffering that now people reference if any time going through a, a difficulty, boy, that person has the life of Job. I just want you to know Job went through incredible suffering, incredible suffering. Job said, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes will behold not another but him, and man, my heart faints within me. And the church says, David, who wrote Psalm 24, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors. The King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And the church says, amen. Isaiah. Isaiah said, one day, one day, the wolf is going to dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion will be fattened together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. The young will lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. In that day, the root of Jesse. Who's the root of Jesse, church? In that day, the Lord Jesus, he shall stand as a signal for the people, Isaiah said. Of him, the Lord Jesus, shall all the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And the church says, Daniel said, I saw in the night visions, behold, the clouds of heaven. There was one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all the peoples and all the nations and all the languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And the church says, Amen. Surely, come Lord Jesus. The last prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi said, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And the church says, Amen. Philippians 3.20, Paul said, Our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church says, Paul wrote to Titus, We're waiting on our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the church says, I'm getting the feeling that the people who wrote the New Testament and Old Testament anticipated that Jesus would surely come. The writer of Hebrews says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly await for Him. And the church says, Jesus said, Surely I'm coming soon. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples watched as Jesus ascended into heaven. And an angel said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And the church says, amen. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And the church says, One last quote, um, not from Scripture, but from a commentary by Uriah Smith. If he think about, thinks about the amen, that he's coming, that's a fact. He's coming, I believe it by faith. And because I believe it by faith, I'm saying, come Lord Jesus. Because everything that this world holds dear is mere shadow of the substance of Christ coming in all of his goodness. Don't worry that you're going to miss out on anything if Jesus comes. You'll not miss out on a thing because everything will be then right and everything that you enjoy now will be exponentially better because you'll be in the Christ-centered universe that, that, that is rightfully His and we rightfully, as children of God, have been made heirs of. We must bask in the forgiving smiles of God to whom's been reconciled. We've been reconciled and see them more and more. We must have access to the exhaustless fount of vitality, the tree of life, and never die. We must purpose under the shadow of its leaves, for they are the service and the healing of the nations. And we will never, ever grow weary. We must drink from the life-giving fountain and thirst no more. We must bathe in its silvery spray and be refreshed. We must walk on its golden sands and feel that we are no longer exiles. We must exchange the cross for the crown and feel that the days of our humiliation have ended. We must lay down the staff and take up palm branches and feel the journey is done. We'll put off the garments of our warfare for the garments and robes of triumph and feel that our conflict is finally ended and victory is gained. We must exchange the toil-worn and dusty raiment of our pilgrimage for the glorious vesture of immortality and feel that sin and the curse can never, ever, ever again pollute us. Oh, the day of triumph. Oh, the day of rest. Every good and perfect thing. Delay not the dawning of that day, Lord. Let the angels be quickly sent to gather your elect. Let the promises be fulfilled which bear in its train these matchless glories. Even so, surely come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you that you've given us a final amen. We know that everything that you have given us is trustworthy. Because of your character, you cannot lie. You will not deceive. You never mislead. I pray for those in this room right now that have been living in the illusion that they're going to heaven, yet loving their sin. May they leave their sin today and be saved. And for believers who've been playing around with this world, enjoying the the treasures and pleasures above the treasures and pleasures of Christ, to repent, to be all in, the Lord To live the amen, not only agreeing with your truth, 
but believing your truth in a way that affects their lives forever.